0: And now, for the first time in color, the thirty-eighth of <laughs> And welcome back to the Snub Club.
1: You know, with any truly great motion picture, the only thing that dates it really are the fashions of the time.
0: Podcast about the movies that have the most Oscar noms and no wins whatsoever.
2: This is the night devoted to one man. Oscar.
0: Hello! And welcome back to The Snub Club. The podcast about the movies that have the most Oscar noms but no wins at all. I'm your host, Danny Vincent. You know, whenever I watch the movie the day before, I generally forget a joke. Even though I actually remember a lot of this movie. So, sorry, no jokes.
2: Oh. Okay,
0: I guess I could do some unsubtitled Italian because I assume you guys didn't get the subtitles. So, (laughs) my my DVD did have subtitles on the Italian, but we can get to that later. I
2: I watched it on YouTube. Uh, (laughs) It's the Return of Sister Sarah here with you,
3: guys. I have a, a great announcement. I have become the uh, Archbishop of the Greater Tennessee area, so you may call me Your Eminence Caleb.
0: Nice. All right, so we're take coming to you today live from the 36th Academy Awards. Um, there was a movie that had ten nominations. Tom Jones it won four of them: the one Best Picture, Best Director for Tony Richardson, Best Adapted Screenplay, and Best. "Quote substantially original score, not just original score." But I didn't notice this year; it's called "substantially original," which kind of made me laugh. Anyway, another movie had four nominee, four wins, but it only had nine nominations, and that was Cleopatra. The four m- things that won was best art direction, color, best cinematography, color, best costume design, color, and best special effects. And then How the West Was Won was nominated for eight Oscars; it won three: best original screenplay, best sound, and best film editing. Um, then HUD had seven nominations. It won three of them. It won Best Actress for Patricia Nail, Best Supporting Actor for Melvin Douglas, and Best Cinematography. Then there were two films with six nominations. One of them was It's a Mad 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 World, which won one, which by the way, I'll just say right now, the one it did win, it was the first ever winner for Best Sound Effects, which is somehow different from Best Sound. I don't know. know. I it think was nominated
2: guy, for both. It won Best Sound Effects, but it didn't win Best Sound.
0: So I guess this must be like a precursor to Best Sound Mixing and Sound Editing. But yeah, anyway, Best Sound Effects went to It's a Wonderful Life. And then there was another movie. I'm sorry, It's, it's a Mad, 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 World. It's a Wonderful Life just suddenly gets kicked out of the snuff club now, 20 years later because of uh, the sound. No, it's, it's a Mad, Mad, World. wins Best Sound Effects. Anyway, then another film had six nominations and no and that is The Cardinal. Sarah, what was The Cardinal nominated
2: for? Uh, Yeah, The Cardinal was nominated for Best Director for Otto Preminger, who lost to uh, Tony Richardson for Tom Jones. Preminger was nominated two more times. Uh, Best Actor in a Supporting Role for John Huston, who lost to Melvin Douglas in HUD. Uh, Huston was nominated 11 more times for Writing and Directing uh, and won two for The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Best Cinematography Color for Leon Shamroy, uh, who lost to Leon Shamroy for Cleopatra. Shamroy uh, was nominated 13 more times and won four, including Cleopatra. Uh, best Art Direction Color for Lyle R. Wheeler and Jean Callahan. Uh, they lost to 10 people <laughs> for Cleopatra. Um I feel like this
0: is I'm <laughs> curious when they add in the rule where you can only nominate like three people for an award, but go on, sorry.
2: <laughs> uh Wheeler was nominated 23 more times and won five. Callahan was also nominated for the last tycoon and he won two. Uh Best Costume Design Color for Donald Brooks. He lost to Irene Sheriff, uh Vittorio Nino Novarese, and uh Rihanna um, Renier, Renier. Um, uh, Donald Brooks was nominated two more times. And finally, Best Film Editing for Lewis R. Lofer, who lost to Harold F. Press for How the West Was Won. Um, and he was also nominated for another premature film, Anatomy of a Murder.
0: You want, uh, do you want, Caleb, do you want Academy Ceremony stuff? I mean, sorry, you can also vote on this. Do you want your ceremony stuff or do you want to... Give us historic context.
3: Now I just wonder what Sarah will vote on. Yeah, so you decide.
2: <laughs> well, um, yeah, let's do the ceremony first.
0: All right. This was hosted by Jack Lemon. We love Jack Lemon here, even though I don't think we've ever talked about a movie with him. Um, Tom Jones is the only film ever. Knock on wood. Hopefully next year, like, maybe like Barbie will do it. Um. It's the only film ever to receive three Best Supporting Actress nominations. Thus, in not winning any acting awards, it ties the Oscar record for five unsuccessful acting nominations. So can you guys remember what? The, unless you have Wiki open, you know the answer already, which could be happening right now. But if you don't, uh, can you guys remember what
1: film we covered has the ties the record to? This is a member of the snub boat. that we've covered. Yes.
0: Five nominations, and no wins, obviously, for acting.
1: Tom Jones won some other awards, but didn't win any for acting.
2: So you might say that it is
1: unusual. Yes. Quilvitis? No. Sarah, do you have it open? No, I don't know. Oh, it's paid in place.
0: Five nominations. I'm trying
3: to think of a movie with a
0: good Uh, cast.
2: Okay. I can't think of anybody in that movie but Russ Stamblin.
0: Patricia Neal...
3: Lauren Green's at the end of it.
0: (laughs) Patricia Neal won Best Actress for Hurl and Hud. This was um, pretty controversial at the time because it was considered a small amount of screen time. I'm curious if it compares to Silence of the Lambs or if it's even less. Anyway, so Melvin Douglas won for the same film, making it the second and only film since since this Academy Awards. The last film to win two acting awards without a Best Picture nomination. The ever was The Miracle Worker the previous year. Then um, Margaret Rutherford won Best Supporting Actress, as we said. Or, well, I actually don't know if we said that, but Mar- Margaret Rutherford wins Best Supporting Actress for a film called The VIPs. She, at the time, becomes the oldest winner for Best Supporting Actress a year after um, Patty Duke sets the record for youngest winner in that category. She's also, at this point, the o- only the second Oscar winner over 70. Um can Caleb or Sarah, can you guys guess the other one? We did not, obviously we didn't cover it, but it is a classic supporting performance, male, that I'm sure both of you have ever seen clips of, if not seen the whole movie.
1: It is a classic film. If I give you the genre, I feel like that will give it away. I don't know. I feel
2: like it's probably obvious, but I don't know.
1: Well, What's I, the genre? Well, I'll put it this way. If it was a qualifier for the Snub Club, we would
0: do the episode as our last of the year.
3: Oh, Christmas movie.
2: Hmm. I th- for some reason, I felt like it might be a Christmas movie. Oh, it's, it's, it's Santa Claus. Miracle yes. on 34th Street.
3: Yeah, Oh, it's I love Miracle on 34th Street.
0: Margaret Rutherford is also the last person born in the 19th century to win an acting Oscar. This is the only year in Academy history that all supporting actress nominees were born outside of the U.S. So thanks, Jamie Lee, for ruining that. No, i'm kidding This is probably ever nominees to see that <laughs> in the u.s um uh, the the actual big stat of this year is that sydney poyer wins best actor um f- which is um you know first african-american actor to win best actor the only one to win until denzel washington wins for training day in 2001 An Occurrence at Owl Bridge is the first Oscar-winning movie to have aired on TV prior to the ceremony, which I think is a
1: fun little stat. And then our last little stat is um, Sammy Davis Jr. This is the prequel to
0: 2016. Sammy Davis Jr. is given the wrong envelope when he's supposed to announce Best Adapted Score. He announced the winner as Tom Jones, who did win Best Score, but that was for Original. So everyone applauded and then were confused. Sammy Davis Jr. was like, made a joke saying, quote, on Wikipedia, wait until the N the N- a- NAACP hears about this. And then, given the right envelope, read the actual winner, which was Andre Previn for Irma La Deuce. La Dolce, I think, actually. I think it's not Deuce. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I mispronounced that one. Um then he then announced all the nominees for substantially original score and said guess who the winner is after he read all the
1: noms cuz obviously everyone knew who had won. that's that's the oscars in mean, 1963 1964
3: well um there's quite a bit of historical context so i'm going to blaze through a bunch of stuff uh and you know if you're you know i'm not going to go in depth on a lot of it unless one of y'all is super interested Um, I feel like this movie movie
0: is very scattershot in the sense that whatever you bring up might come up naturally later, and I'll be like, expound then, you know?
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, This movie is dealing with a couple different political topics, Um, but the two that I'll focus on is uh, World War II and the Catholic Church and that and the Civil Rights Movement. Um, Because we are smack dab in the middle of the civil, Civil Rights Movement in 1963. The uh, the freedom rides had taken already taken place, and 1963 was the year of the March on Washington. Um, So, in in a in a lot of ways, um, this is kind of uh, the turning point in a lot of stuff because, of course, we'll have the Selma or not Selma the uh, Birmingham church bombing uh, a few weeks after the uh, after the March on Washington. So, a lot of stuff going on there. And as uh, the World War II stuff that factors in is um, this covers a lot of the Austrian uh, side of what the Catholic Church was up to in World War II. Theodore Initzer, Initzer, I guess, who was the cardinal, did make a lot of concessions to the Nazis upon their um, upon their entry into Poland, and then eventually. Uh, made a speech where he, um, tacitly denounced Hitler, which led to the Hitler youth storming the, uh, storming the church that he worked in. Um, in general, uh, I think that he has a kind of complicated legacy because as the war went on, he and a lot of other Catholics started getting more and more, uh, aggressive against the Nazis. But obviously there was that early, um, the early concessions that they made. However, the Pope, who became the Pope right at the uh, right at the start of World War II, Pope Pius XII. He actually, while he publicly remained neutral, he um, fed information to both the German resistance and the Allies, basically from the beginning, um, and lost a lot. A uh, you know lost a lot of popularity with the Germans at that point. But I don't think you know I don't think he really minded that, seeing how uh, you know, it What's the old phrase, your enemies. Uh, it says more about you, who your enemies are than your friends. I don't know. Um, and the last piece of information, uh, is that John Houston, um, is in this and John Houston was a central figure in trying to fight against the blacklist. Um, so him kind of, we get to see, um, starting to see very slowly. Some of these figures, uh, who came up when we talked about the blacklist re-emerging. I don't think we ever explicitly talked about what he was doing to fight it, but you get start to see that the careers of these people are still going on. And eventually it will get to the point where you'll start seeing blacklisted filmmakers uh, starting to make movies again under their name.
0: All right. Before we really get started, I do want to acknowledge a couple of things here um, about returning Talent to the snub club. Even though I have not finished my spreadsheet yet. It's taking a while, as I said, it's a lot of stuff to get through. But there are three major things I think we can talk about with people who returned here. First of which being um John Houston, who directed the Asphalt Jungle here, our Marilyn Monroe movie we've watched. Uh, he probably made a cameo in that. I don't actually know if he made a cameo or not, but it says he played bit parts in all of his movies. So I gotta assume. They're going to give that much of a generalization. The Asphalt Jungle is one of his more famous ones, so I'm going to assume he has a bit part in there somewhere. Um, Otto Preminger returns, of course, because of um, um, The Moon is Blue. What I thought was interesting is that Maggie McNamara is in this, and as I said, this was her final role. Um, I think I said that. Maybe someone else said that. Oh, no, I was reading Wikipedia. This is her final big screen performance because she died at age 49. I don't know. I think she plays one of the sisters, or maybe the mom. I I'm think the sure. mom looks so I... old that I can't imagine it's someone. Under I think 49. she plays
2: the. I think she plays the anti-Semitic sister.
0: Yeah, that would make sense. That would be my guess too. Um, because I didn't recognize her, but also that
1: person is very like, I don't know, very dressed differently than her character in the Moon's Blue. I was looking for her. I didn't see her. But. My other thing I want to talk about before we really talk about the movie is this film
0: um, is a a piece of some controversy recently on the film Twitters. You guys can cut me off if you have no interest in this.
1: It's probably not.
2: This particular film?
0: Yes, it is.
2: This particular one? Yes. You're not just making a bit because of another movie that's coming out? Starring Russell Crowe. No, I thought that
0: is a movie we could do. I actually wasn't even thinking about that. Bit. But yes, we could, we could talk about the Pope's exorcism want. <laughs> no, I was referring to, so a few weeks back, you know, Letterbox has their like news area, which is like whatever, you know, I don't go to Letterboxd for news, but whatever. And they did this article about missing films or like lost films. And this film is included on it, even though it's not really a lost film. It's just that it's not available on Blu-ray. Um, and so people were really mad about this list because it's like, this is dumb. like dog Because Dogma's on the list, you know, the Kevin Smith movie. And people are like, you can find this movie, just you can't, like, <laughs> you know, you guys both watch this movie on YouTube. The reason I want to bring this up is because I literally watch this on a phys- piece of physical media. <laughs> so <laughs> I was kind of like, what? What are you talking about? Letterboxd. Now, would it be nice for this to have a Blu-ray? Yes. Would be nice for the Pope's Exorcist, time be right. Sure. In about six months' time.
2: We'll see. You'll <laughs> still be in theaters in six months.
0: It's true. People are going you know, to still be glad out to watch it nonstop. Zachary is going to be like, please oh. don't see the, the, the Pope's Exorcist when my movie's still
2: out. The Pope's <laughs> Exorcist is not a family film. I love Russell Crowe. It's not a family film. <laughs>
3: I, um, I don't think any movie that is in the Academy's Film Archive should be considered lost.
0: Yeah, exactly. The only movie that's really on here that I would call lost really is stuff like Superstar, because that's like banned from being exhibited. Also, this is, okay, I'm so mad right now. Sorry, I'm looking at the, I never looked at this list. I'm seeing now that Greg Araki's movie, The Doom Generation, is on this list. The Doom Generation is literally showing a 4K restoration at the music box this weekend. So, like, this movie clearly has been restored and is just waiting for the theatrical run to get a theatrical, you know, a home release.
2: Are you talking about the Molly Shannon movie, Superstar?
0: No, I'm talking about the um, Todd Haynes one.
3: Oh. About the Carpenters? Yes. Oh. Which, that one isn't lost. With the Barbie.
2: Is that
3: yeah. that's the one with the
0: Barbies, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Topical. Uh, <laughs> but no, I was like the Cardinals on this list, and that's crazy. Anyway. I just think it's silly. I do think even though I do think I this is going a re-release.
3: Yeah, I do think there's an interesting conversation to have about like I mean dogma, there's a lot of stuff that is going on there because of the wine scenes. But um there is kind of this idea of like, well, If physical media stops getting as much uh, like production and everything turns to streaming, what happens to the movies that just don't get on streaming? Like uh, Catherine Bigelow has a movie that I've been trying to watch. That oh, it's hard to find a physical. I think Strange Days is what Strange
0: Days was on HBO Max earlier this year. Very brief. I don't know if it's still on there, but it like popped up for like at least January. I just know everyone's like, oh my god, you got to go watch it right now because it's here.
3: Yeah, yeah. It's just it it's. So I think it's interesting to talk about movies that, despite having a ton of options with streaming, there are just movies that don't, aren't as available. Um, what was cra- but you know, it's not lost cinema.
0: What was crazy to me recently, also in the vein of Strange Days, was um, uh, I listened to this other podcast that I'm not allowed to mention on Looking for the Ocean, Mark has banned me, but I listened to Blank Check. And they're doing a Danny Boyle series right now. And I saw 28 Days Later here in 35 Millimeter, like last month, because I was like, oh, you know, they're doing Danny Boyle. Also, that'd be a good movie for me to see. And I discovered after I saw it in theaters here that you can't rent it anywhere right now, which yeah. is crazy. That I think 20- it's
2: just a US thing. I don't, I think it's like specific to the US.
0: That's so weird because it's such a big movie, you know, like such a, like for the genre, like it's such a big zombie movie <laughs> that, that, in fact, it's not readily available for you to rent anywhere is pretty nuts
3: but strange days is still on hbo as at time of recording so i know i'm gonna watch next <laughs> and uh nice. our listeners check it out before it becomes you know inaccessible again like
2: american HBO pickle. Is...
3: what sorry I like mean,
2: american pickle
3: it's true i mean true.
0: also on, on that note sarah um you know i'm going to the zemeckis retrospective and I was very glad to see that The Witches had a physical release because I wanted to watch the three that aren't at the retrospective during it just so I can say I did it all. So I got The Witches out from the library.
2: Witches <laughs> is good. I remember... I haven't seen the new one, but I love oh, a a one. it. Oh, it's the new one. It's the new one. Oh,
0: it's the new one. Zemeckis is not the old one. That's, the one
2: <laughs> that's not a dog I used
0: to say. <laughs> well, no, but I'm just, I was saying that because that was an HBO Max movie, like American Pickle. Oh, I they didn't did.
2: realize that they pulled it.
0: Yeah, they did. But it has physical media. Probably, meaning, yeah. So...
3: Probably the most famous Lost movie, I guess, since we're on the HBO thing, is probably uh, Batgirl. Um, although, I think, I mean, that I think a that's a the most recent Lost eventually. film. I, I don't know if it's the most famous. Yeah, not famous. The most famous, meant, famous like, one is
0: um, The Day the Clown Died.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. I meant, I meant When is that I coming out? Myself, meant, Cancel Culture.
0: <laughs> we got a count. Didn't he die like this year or last year? So the count's finally on for it to be released. I think it's like a 20-year wait that movie exists it's just locked up for a long
3: time which will which will we get first that or Batgirl
2: I don't know I still want to hold out hope that maybe eventually Batgirl will be released in some capacity. I mean obviously like Warner Brothers Discovery is having a hard time right now. So you know you say it that could but be... they
0: just released 30 posters today.
2: <laughs> um as I was saying they're going through a hard time right now. <laughs> Um, they definitely profited off of their last shelved film, um, by putting it on, on HBO Max. So I feel like eventually they might be like, "It's the Lost Batgirl film." Um, well, I think
3: the I, thing that's I think at least it will get leaked. Well, the thing yeah, I, I think so. leaking
0: might ha- I think the whole thing about tax write-offs. This is just something to me that I remember. I remember from when I was in high school is there's this show I really like that I'm sure Caleb at least has heard of. Sarah, you might have too, called Symbionic Titan. Um, yeah. which is a Jendi Tarkovsky show that aired like when I was maybe a sophomore in high school and only lasted one season because of course it was on Cartoon Network during that era where they like buried all their action cartoons but then of course you know Jendi Tarkovsky is now like very well regarded from people who grew up with him and also like Adult Swim is funded like Primal and he has a new show coming out too anyway so when Adult Swim started their whole new Tsunami block they showed Sumbionic Titan on it and it did very well in their ratings for the you know like Adult Swim and they're like, okay, so can you renew it? And they're like, actually, legally, we cannot renew it because it was tax written off. So if we renew it, we have to get back all the money we got from the tax write-off. And there's no way to make the show profitable in that regard because it doesn't matter how well you're rating. We got so much money back from that that we cannot bring it back. And that's why I think backroll has to be leaked because they probably got so much money back that even just throwing on HBO Max isn't going to do enough. So there's no way to make that money back after they've already gotten it and probably spent it somewhere. It's like the paradox of you got that money back, now it's going to cost so much more to show it again.
2: I guess I just well, don't understand. Taxes are dumb. <laughs> Tax I just don't understand how like you can just make a full thing and then be like, money, please. It just feels th- very illegal to me.
0: I think
1: it's more <sighs> likely the Scooby-Doo
0: be. movie leaks. The, the that one did Christ- leak. No, no, no. No, the, no the one the, of the direct-to-videos did. Yeah. Oh The yeah, Christmas yeah. one hasn't leaked yet. I think the Christmas Scooby-Doo one will leak some. But the Cardinal doesn't need to leak because it's on YouTube. And as I said, I have a physical copy of it from the Chicago library system right in front of me. And I wanted to read the back of the box because whenever I have the back of the box, I think it's fun to do that to lead into the discussion. Okay. May Nominated for six 1963 Academy Awards. Oh, well, let me read the front of the box, too. That's the log line, which is a spellbinding story of the young Americans rise to Prince of the Church. But all the T's are written like crosses. Anyway. What? <laughs> I'm serious. It's, it's the, the um, Actually, not the first T, weirdly enough. But after that, every T and it's written like a cross. It's oh. very weird.
2: Pope's exorcist for real.
0: Anyway. <sighs> Youthful pride. Yearnings of the flesh. Moments of doubt. The courage of conviction. All enter a dedicated American's light, decades-long rise to priesthood from priesthood to the leadership elite of the College of Cardinals. Otto Preminger presents The Cardinal, winner of a Golden Globe Best Picture Award and nominated for six Academy Awards, including Best Director. Typical of Preminger's films, The Cardinal packed with stars and issues. Issues. Tom Tryon, Carol Lindley, Ossie Davis, Fergus Meredith, and Best Supporting Actor nominee, Oscar nominee and Golden Globe winner John Houston are players in a rich storyline embracing interface, marriage, abortion, racism, and war. I like that you can tell who became famous after this movie from the actors they decided to talk about on the box.
1: <laughs> but yeah, the Cardinal. what do you guys think? I would describe it
2: as the nun story. Starring Zachary Kinto. Um. I mean, I thought it was confidently made. I didn't find it to be that boring, which is surprising. I thought the last storyline was the least engaging. I thought it fizzled out pretty badly. I just this is. I mean, I, I mean, I always have hard times with these. You know, it's just like. It's so godly and it's so like, you know, it's just like, it's just so, I don't know. It's just icky to me. I think that the the whole Catholic thing just feels so, I don't know. And then it's partially funded by the Vatican, which is also like, that just kind of pushes it over the edge for me. I thought it was well acted. I really like John Saxon. I really like Burgess Meredith. I like um, John Houston. Again, it wasn't boring. The ending was boring but <laughs> that's the ending overall you know like a three star movie
3: yeah it's um it's interesting There, it gives you a lot to talk and a lot to think about and there are definitely some actors who it's fun to see them uh in this I, I feel like two things are holding it back one I do think that it is just kind of bloated um I think that's th- 250 is way too long or two hours and 50 minutes is way too long for this um and that you don't i mean you can obviously cut a bunch of the plots because of how episodic this is but i think you can just cut down a lot of these scenes there's a lot of a lot of padding in this um i think especially when they go come to on, the man. Uh,
1: you
0: could have said there's a ton of padding in this sorry go on
3: uh, I think especially like well I'll I'll talk about that when it happens um, I think the other issue is that uh, I don't know man like I I appreciate what Priminger was going for with a lot of these ideas but I think they're very half-baked I don't think that he has a lot of focus here I'm really not sure what the point of this movie is supposed to be um, it's based off of a book that's based off of kind of a real person so maybe like maybe that person lived an interesting life. I don't know. I don't. I don't feel like the. Uh, I don't feel like the character went through enough of a. Uh, it, it, he certainly changed, but I don't think there's enough of a through line here for me to really get emotionally invested.
1: I thought this was a good movie. I really liked it. Um, I think yes, it's definitely a bit bloated, especially near the end.
0: Um, but. You know, as someone who likes to watch, like, these... Well, I, I say these, like, oh, like, you know, the collective these. But, like, this type of 1960s epic, I like that this is a big story that's just about one man dealing with his faith. In a lot of ways, it reminds me of a... a of course, the movie i to mention is way better than this, but it reminds me a lot of Silence at that point. Um, not as good, as I said, but still in structure and what it's trying to examine. I do think the movie, I pushed back on Caleb saying that there's not really a clear point to what's going on. I think the movie has a very clear, concise point. Let me see what I, I wrote it down for my letterbox review, but I think there is, um. it's about off the top of my head. I think it's like about complicity and like, can one be, or like, you know, the way that, sorry, I want, I want to read what I wrote down because what I wrote down is like, Concisely written, you know, because well, I, I think I
3: rest. think I might have I might have misspoken. It's not that I don't think that there is necessarily a point. I think that Primjer is playing with a lot of ideas here. It's that I don't think it's it's well, it's well paced, and I don't think that it like if it's a river, there are a lot of parts where the river's running up against some rocks, right? It's not a smooth ride.
0: Oh sure, I mean it's not it's not a perfect movie. It definitely has moments where I wasn't interested. Or it was like, okay, I get it, you know? But most of the times I was like, okay, I get it. I don't know. It's like, to me, it's like, yes, it's long, but I don't really know what to cut outside of like, you know, at the end where it's like, okay, I don't need to see like all of Austria falling, right? It's not what I'm... <laughs> so as much as I'm sure audiences that there, like in the 60s were like, yeah, I'm here for this. This is cool action at the end of it. I'm not there for that. I'm more into the, like the story and the character study. But... I don't know. Some because I I mean sometimes the best one of the best parts of this movie's direction is how it will linger on shots and the blocking of it. And it's just very smartly done, I think, in particular of the scene where um he gets kidnapped by the Ku Klux Klan. And the camera instead of following him, just stays on like the brutalized body of the African American priest who um then is collected by his like you know the his neighbors. I think that's better than, you know, like just cutting away and following with him. I like that we see the neighbors discover him. And there's, stuff, there's a lot of stuff like that. That's the big one that I remember. Um, let me see what I wrote. Um, the role of complicity by passiveness. I kind of said that. Uh, <laughs> but that, that's how I worded it in my letter. Complicity I mean, I would, by being passive.
2: I would definitely cut Bobby Morse. I don't know why he was in this movie. <laughs> Yeah, oh yeah, yes, I, that's that, extreme. That, agree. That,
0: that, that, that can be cut. <laughs> that, that, yes, get rid of
1: that. <laughs> agree.
3: I think you don't need the framing device. I think that could very easily be cut out. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah, there was, I forgot there was a framing device, right? And then we cut to him, like being, I think after the, um, his sister dies, we cut to him back in the framing device. And I was so confused. I thought time had passed, and then we just cut back to being young. Know, I was like, okay, like completely for. I honestly don't even remember the beginning of the premise. I just remember that cut back to him old, and then the rest of the movie happening. Well,
2: I think it's strange too because it starts with that ceremony, him beginning to become a cardinal, and then it immediately cuts to him becoming a priest. So it is kind of a weird. Like, there's no, for me, there was like no distinction. I mean, he is he does have. Old age makeup, which is just gray hair, but it just feels like there's not enough of a, a distinction.
1: Yeah, I would
0: agree. He has a little bit of um, the wrinkles added to him too. But the thing, the thing, to me is, is like you can tell he's old, but there's like it literally just you know like shifts from young to old, right? I think maybe like there's a little bit of gray on his temples. They do at one point, but otherwise it's just like a, a one stop makeup job for him to get old, right? Which Little disappointing but it wasn't nominated for makeup so who cares no I'm kidding, but it is a valid point <laughs> um i think the best way to probably talk about this is to talk about like the main plots right because this movie has multiple i haven't counted them out but there is very clear like if this was like there's chapters right there's yeah, yeah it's basically an
2: anthology movie yeah.
0: i do think it does a good job i think the editing in here is good enough i mean the the day to day editing of it, not like the oh this movie should be cut down more, but like the like I think it all flows into each other pretty well. I'm never asking why did we go here or like well that came out of nowhere. I think it all thematically flows together and logically flows together too in terms of his rise. But okay, so the first one is he graduates preschool, whatever it's called. I'm sure preschool, preschool <laughs> <Priest> college. <laughs> he he graduates preschool. No. Uh, <laughs> But, and he gets placed in Boston, which immediately I think I think it is worth saying, and just to get the elephant out of the room immediately, because I think Sarah, you were kind of acknowledging this with talking about like the weird, not the weirdest, but like I think when we hear about the Boston Catholic Church, I think everyone immediately jumps to you know the sex scandals and spotlight, and well, we we jump to the spotlight because we're movies, but like most normal people who. Are informed and think about Boston Catholics, they think about the Catholic Church, they think about that that scandal. um Which I think adds to my whole thing where it's like, this is about being complicit while being passive. When I don't know how much of an open book this was in 1963, but it also would add an entire element to That's not re- like, you know, it is relevant to the overall place in the world this story takes place. I don't think it's relevant to this movie,
1: if that makes sense.
2: Well, again the Vatican did partially fund it, so I think they were not... I would guess that it was probably a thing at this point in time, but I... They would have no reason to even acknowledge that. I'm sure the crew didn't know anything about it. (laughs) They're not complicit in that.
0: Yeah, because Otto Preminger, I remember when we looked at him last time, he was a pretty pretty woke guy. (laughs) Well,
2: I have things to say about him this time, but we'll get Uh, there.
3: Well, he was he was he was an Austrian Jew um by birth at least. So he didn't grow up in the Catholic Church and if we're talking about like an open secret sort of deal I doubt that he was aware of it then. Um
0: I also doubt this movie gets made um addressing that in 1963 anyway. I know we've seen some stuff but like an ongoing news even if it was like an open secret I don't think You know, I also think this movie is pretty critical of the establishment, too, even if it is funded. Like, it's not, maybe, it's not as critical as the nuns' story, but I think for me hearing it's funded by the Vatican does surprise me.
2: I don't know, I felt like...
0: I think maybe the end is very pro, right? I I don't
2: know, I mean, I think during the racism stuff, there was some parts where I was kind of like, huh. But I feel like some of the early decisions that he made are just then he makes are just so baffling to that to me it's like I don't know it really hits over the head like he's true to his work true to God and he's true to his faith and it just feels like I don't know to me this felt so different from the non story to me and I think maybe the framing device is obviously part of it but like I never really thought that he was ever gonna waver.
1: There's also.
3: He has, yeah. You know, we don't have to spend the whole time talking about the nun story, but I do think it is a pretty, like, it's definitely fresh in our minds. So I, I think the big difference is that he has a lot more agency than Audrey Hepburn's character did. And so he can affect change in a way. Um, and we do see that. We do, we do see him affecting change within the church. So I think that allows for a different type of movie. Um, and i don't know it is it, it's an interesting like idea of do you stay in an organization that you disagree with to change it from the inside or do you leave um and i i don't know i, I don't know if this movie's uh, this movie is very clearly on the you stay in it sort of deal um but it is interesting yeah. when you look at it part as opposed to the, the non like, story
0: part of that's also like you know gender roles you know like and yeah yeah like, that's
3: that's what makes it interesting yeah
0: i think they they work as dual films in a way but i also think that the non story is much more i am obviously interested in like institutionalized sexism and stuff like that um this movie can't really address that I mean, I think there are moments where it does, but I don't I don't think this movie is equipped to address that, and I think Otto Preminger knows that. Otto Preminger also probably saw the nuns' story and was like, oh, I want to do something like that, but not that, you know? Well, I don't think this has more in common. To me, honestly, the weird thing that kept coming to mind it might be the cinematography style in Austria, but I was thinking more about the sound of music during this than um, the nuns' story when it comes to nuns' So, stories.
2: like i do wonder i gen. i do actually genuinely wonder knowing that this was partially funded by the vatican um actually a fun little piece of trivia is that the coordinator at the vatican was the future pope the one who retired (laughs) um um,
3: benedict yeah
2: is i after the nun story came out a bunch of nuns were like no i don't want to do this anymore and a bunch of you know a bunch of nuns quit and i do wonder if this movie was partially made to kind of get some more people on the pro-Catholic side.
0: I mean, I get that, but I also think that um, our our boy, um, what's his name? (laughs) I forget the Cardinal's name. Um,
2: Oh, Stephen.
0: Zachary Kinto. Okay, I I actually didn't make (laughs) that. To me, he looks more like a Cavill, weirdly enough. Um, But anyway, I think Stephen, at least for the first half of this movie, hits so many, like, bumps in his road that I don't think it's just... I think calling it pure propaganda is too... I mean, I know you're not saying that, sir. I know you're not saying that, but I'm like... I feel like it is temptation to say, because the Vatican funded it, that this is designed to rehabilitate their image. But I look at the first half of this movie, like, this. like, there was the point where he gets sent to work with Burgess Meredith before you really even know who Burgess Meredith is. I was like, this reminds me of the Nun story where I got mad about it. But also, unlike the nun story, I think it's much, you know, the reason the sentiment is more valid, even if you don't really like John Houston at that point, because I, I don't know. To me, it's also just, I get why being a priest is different than being a nun, you know, it's just, and that's not sexism. It's just, I know how the church works.
2: Wow. Yeah, but that's okay. The church works. is, is sexist. Sexist. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, and I get what you mean. I think the Burgess Meredith stuff to me is like, it is. And again, I don't mean to com- keep comparing it to the nun story. But while we're talking about the nun story, I think the why it was so upsetting in the nun story is because it was like she thought, like Gabby thought that it was an opportunity to actually help people, versus I think in this movie. He does he defies orders and he helps Burgess Meredith and we see him as like this justified character, but you know, and then it is kind of like he gets rewarded for it. So I think Sorry, I don't I was, know.
1: I just kind of thought of a weird comparison. This
0: is like a superhero movie, like a modern superhero movie in a way. Because one I remember way back when um, the, the Spider-Man movie came out, the Homecoming, the very, like you know, the first Tom home. I remember reading this article by great film scholar, Film Crit Hulk, where he pointed out that this is the movie that proves the problem with Marvel arcs because it's just Spider-Man says that he can do something. Tony Stark says, no, you can't do it. Spider-Man says, yes, I can. Tony Stark says, I'm taking away your suit because you're not listening to me. Spider-Man breaks the rules anyways and goes against it. Okay, you're right for breaking the rules. Have your suit back. That's
1: kind of like what this movie does a lot,
0: now that I'm thinking about it.
1: <laughs> Cause that's that's yeah. like a lot of
0: superhero movies do that. But, but as like, is the cardinal a superhero? Is this like Elvis where where autoprimat today, if this was made, he'd be like, I'm trying to make a superhero movie. Basically, what I'm saying is Luhrmann, this is your next project. No, I'm kidding. Uh uh-huh.
2: I mean, and I don't here's the thing, is like there are two decisions that he makes early on that I find to be very upsetting, but I don't think the movie, I think one of them, the like one of them, you are supposed to be like, whoa, why did he do this? And that's the thing with his sister and her wanting to get married. Um, later, the sister, I think you're supposed to feel like he's justified, but I don't think that the movie, I think the movie puts him in situations where he is okay to
3: defy his role you know it's interesting catholics are obviously there's a hierarchy in catholicism that other churches have uh eastern orthodox churches anglican churches have hierarchies um but coming from the uh american evangelical that being the spot that i grew up in you know everything is uh, churches are more like franchises right like you have some rules you'll get kicked out if like you let women become ordained, but like in general, it's kind of your own thing and one of the one of the big selling points or at least when I was growing up was that you can disagree and you can think different if you if you have the right disagreements right like you can have you can have a certain number of doctrinal disagreements, and that's fine. I wonder if that's kind of what's going on here if the Catholics are trying to make it make the case that it's not. Like purely, they're not purely homogenous religion. That there is room for growth and there is room for disagreements, especially coming off of. Well, I mean, this is this is several years out of World War II, where we got to see a bunch of different um, reactions to fascism from Catholics, but uh, but especially coming off of the uh, the civil rights movement, where there was a lot of a lot of very different uh, a lot of disagreement within mainly white churches about how to how to handle and how to support and how to denounce the civil rights movement i wonder if they're trying to just kind of pitch the idea if if we're reading this as a piece of um catholic approved media i wonder if they're trying to pitch the idea that they aren't that they don't have to just be one one thing
1: see i i hear what you're saying but i don't know if i fully agree
0: but I get where you're okay. The reason I I think maybe I might be I'm, I might be a little semantic here, and you can be like Danny, stop it. That's not what I meant. If I am, but I don't think it's saying like there are different types. I think because the one thing this movie I think really does like, and it's because it's this movie came out in 1963, and obviously at the time everyone would agree with this. Well, everyone involved in the making of the film would agree with this. Is um, when it comes down to the segments about Georgia. Where it's like the Catholic Church in the Vatican, the person who we directly deal with. This movie does not show the Pope. This movie is like current or soon to be released, or at the time this episode's out, already been released air, where Michael Jordan is never in frame. The Pope is never in frame in this movie. There's no master playing the
2: Pope. He's being exorcised.
3: <laughs> Father Mort's over there. Can, doing we, doing the good can we get
0: Michael Jordan's exorcist for
1: <laughs> <laughs> the box office?
0: anyway um but the person that steve directly deals with is um a cardinal who's absolutely like no i don't think there's any reason to get involved there we don't want to cause a schism with the church in america we need to stand by well of course like of course i don't agree with racism but it's not my place to tell our followers not to be racist and it's like I think that is the most, I mean, that, I mean, and then I think you have the whole Nazi segment afterwards to be like, no, but see, they did learn, even though obviously that's not, they're not the same thing. But I think that part of the movie is very critical of the Catholic response to, at the time, the ongoing civil rights movement. I don't know where, that actually would have been something I should have asked you to look up for um, a context, contest. like how the Catholic church played a role within, you know, the civil rights movement in America.
3: It's complicated because obviously different dioceses react differently in general. I have a friend um, who likes to say, um, because she was a person of color who went to my church, um, which was primarily white for many years. And whenever the idea of like the church's involvement, the white church's involvement in the civil rights movement popped up, she liked to point out that for every picture you can find of like one white priest walking by uh Martin Luther, there were ten that were calling him a radical and denouncing him. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to own both. And so I'm sure that there were a lot of Catholic priests who were very progressive and did their best to advance civil rights. But if you're gonna you have to own both. And there are plenty more that didn't.
0: So to get back to the film, even though we are talking about the film, I think we can talk about the first half of this movie as a thing. But I think the second half is when it really breaks into being episodic, personally. Maybe you guys disagree. First half is time in Boston rising up in the ranks. He, this has basically three little parts to it. There's the part about his sister, where he's, she's dating and wants to marry this Jewish man. Um... Or I also think that's another part of the movie where it's very critical of Catholics. Um, again, this movie is, though, in this interesting spot where, and I, I know I kind of mentioned this already, where it's like, at the time, this is a period piece. This came out in 1963. The latest this gets is 1940, 1943-ish. So this is a period piece at the time. So I feel like there is a temptation of like a lot of the stuff in the movie to be like, oh, well, that's how it was back then. But I also think, obviously, the stuff with the lynching, which we'll get to eventually, that is meant to draw parallels to modern day. But anyway, um, there's anti Semiticism in their community with the um, Jewish man. And of course, interfaith relationships is always a topical thing. Anyway, same time, or boy, I'm just going through the whole plot of the first half first and we can talk about bits. Um, Steve is writing his big book about whatever. It doesn't really matter what it's about. It never really comes back, even though, you know, he, he shops it around, but whatever. He writes his big
3: book. It's thematically relevant,
0: but
1: yeah. Okay. Well, he shows it to the. His cardinal, what's it? What, is he the cardinal, Um, John Houston. It's John um, Houston's role, like, in the church.
0: He's yeah, like he's the cardinal. He's a cardinal. Okay, so he shows it to John Houston, who immediately is kind of disarming to him because he talks very, like, jovially, but then he's also like, oh, oh, uh, I think the fact that you wrote this book instead of doing your job is bad, so I'm going to send you to the worst possible place. Um, sends him to this part that does not look like it's part of Boston, but whatever, it's like a completely different climate than everywhere else in this movie. Um, but it's where Burgess Meredith lives. Burgess Meredith is dying of scoliosis. I don't think.
2: I don't think that he's he's in Boston. I think he just sends him up north in America. Yeah, it's just somewhere, somewhere else in New England. New England. I don't think it's oh, Boston.
0: Okay. I don't know how much area the Cardinal covers. Really, like I don't know that about the church, and I don't think the movie. I think the movie doesn't cover because it, it assumes people at the time now which is valid. Um, Anyway, so he's up there uh, working with Burgess Meredith, who's very clearly bedridden sick. Um, He doesn't want to go to the doctor because he continues to call himself a failure. To me, this is the part of the movie that is also super critical of the Catholic Church because even though the Cardinal at the end shows up and he's like, oh, I forgive him. It's also like as soon as he dies, he's like, well, he did fail. I'm closing this church. We've got more important (laughs) things to do. And they completely move on from this community. So really, Burgos Meredith's life was indeed an entire failure. And it's kind of, it's very sad. But the movie just moves past it. But I think it's given enough attention that it is criticizing like the fact that this man lived his whole life, died thinking he was a failure. And
2: well, even if the Cardinal th-
0: showed up to give like a little comfort at the end.
2: I think that that's a very... From personal experience as well, I think that it's a very Catholic thing where... You know, you can live your entire life, but if you are with sin when you die, then it's just over for you. And we also see that with his sister, yes. um, where he's desperate for her to repent before she goes. Um, well,
0: let's talk about let me let me explain what the sister is first, so if that's okay. Sure, um, sister. Um, the interfaith the the his her relationship with the Jewish person Jewish man doesn't work out. Because they invite the Jewish man and his parents over to like a big party, um, where they get incredibly anti-Semitic, and then someone walks up, like someone walks up to them and says, "Hey, maybe she'll this will become a Jewish name, you'll be an honorary Irishman." And basically, the parents of the Jewish man go like, "Oh, I guess they do only like Irishmen." Or may, I think actually that's the guy. I think the guy says that to his parents because the parents look so dejected by this that their son is marrying this hateful community. At least hateful towards Jewish people.
1: Well, I think
0: hate, just saying hateful is general. Jewish people are people too. Jesus, I, I realized how out of context that.
3: that Stop digging enough. the whole day. Let's move on. <laughs> okay,
0: I'm moving on. I'm moving on. Anyway, um, that ends the relationship But because she goes to confession. I think, Sarah, this was your first point that I think you're talking about. When she goes to confession Um, and Steve, this is the most mad we've seen get. Well, no, yeah, I think this is actually the maddest we see him get in the movie. I think so. Because yeah.
2: he's, I mean, he's like early in his career. He's more emotional.
0: Yeah, because the only other time I can think of is when he was with, well, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. There are other times in this movie he gets mad, but this is the maddest he gets. And he talks about, um, he's like, you can't, you slept with him. How dare you? You need to repent so much to me, blah, 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 blah. She runs out. She's like, I just want to be with him. And he's like, well, too bad. He's, you will go to hell, whatever with it, you know? And then she like runs out and denounces God basically, and she runs out on the entire family. And we keep cutting back to her. Well, we cut back to her first at a dance where they run into her with the brother. Who the brother sings these nice little songs. I like the brother. He's very very nice music. Better than what's his face? Uh, let me let me see. I have it in front of me. On the better than Bobby Morrison has AdoraBells. I definitely I just prefer the musical, I don't I understand
2: music. that. I just I don't, <laughs> don't get it.
0: I definitely prefer the musical interludes of the brother then
1: his long one anyway um we she gets together with this um
0: i don't know a cuban i think i think he does say he's from cuba puerto rico that's not what they not
2: what they say but yeah
0: what do they say
2: they use a slur oh okay
1: yeah
0: you're right yeah but anyway gets together with who's involved with the mob in some way but also a dancer Anyway, we eventually they track her down after that whole thing with John Houston and Burgess Meredith. And they find her, uh, they find the act after we listen to Bobby Morrison in the doorbells for five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy's like, oh, I've lost her five months ago after she refused to take this abortion I offer to pay for her. And they're all like, what? And they find her, she's been in labor for five days. They find her at, like, I think it's a halfway home. I don't know exactly, but it doesn't really matter. Um, but you find her, take her to the hospital, and the doctor says she's been in labor for five days. We can crush the skull of the infant to save her. Um, or we can save the child. Actually, I don't think he says or they can save the child, because at the time I was like, I, there's no guarantee this." Until like, they're like, oh yeah, we can save the kid. I was like, oh, okay. But, and the...
2: Well, I think that is, I think that is it. Because they do save the child, so I think that he does present either her or the child. No, but I'm saying before he does save. Okay, whatever. I'm saying I was a little confused for a second. That's all.
1: Um, the her ex boyfriend, Jewish um, love interest, begs the cardinal, "Please save
0: save your sister." He goes, "I cannot murder a child," and then he sends his sister in to die after trying to give her last rites, and she refuses. She doesn't go along with it because she's so disoriented and then she finally comes to right before you know the door slams slammed shut on him and you know is distraught by this by killing his sister we then cut <laughs> that that's when the weird cut to the future happens and then we cut back and it's been a couple of years because now we skip over most of the time as him as, he gets promoted to secretary for John Houston and um, yeah he gets promoted uh, then the Pope dies and they go on a long journey to see john to vote on the pope they arrive late which crushes john houston's heart the only time in this movie he ever appears vulnerable is when he realizes he missed the opportunity to vote for the pope um but then afterwards he talks to the new pope um and says hey pope all off screen i have this cardinal here that it'd be really great Working here as a liaison between America, not Cardinal, my secretary would be great working as a liaison between America and the Vatican because America is becoming a very big spot you can't ignore. Um, and our boy Steve turns it down because he's been fo- so distraught with the death of his sister and feeling like he made the wrong choice and the guilt of feeling like he made the wrong choice because the Catholic Church
2: is well, doctrine. Well, this is the issue that I have. With the sister. I mean, obviously, I have issues with the sister. So, at one point, she says... So, she has sex with her boyfriend. Sorry, she makes love with her boyfriend. And at one point, she says, well, we'll just get married with a judge. And Steven is so horrified, and he's like, you're going to be living in sin. And later, like, she comes to before she goes into the operating room. And that's not to say that she has full Understanding of the situation, but you would think that she has some autonomy over what's happening to her. It just feels like I don't know. To me, this obviously it rubs me the wrong way. It just feels like the movie at this point in time is so like again, it's like kind of that Catholic principle of like condemning everybody and everything.
3: Yeah. I think I think the problem with me here. Is that he shows regret, I mean, obviously he sad that his sister is dead, but the point where he shows regret is not the fact that he effectively condemned her to death, it's that he wasn't nicer to her when she came to confess um and I think that says a lot about him uh that he would go back so far i mean. To like find a find a place where he could have and I'm not even sure what he want, what he could do, but he could regret safely almost without having to question like this pretty central thing to to the Catholic faith um because what a lot of people don't realize is that abortion wasn't something that Protestants really agreed on like it, they were like kind of so-so until um until a little bit later on in American history when it became a talking point for the right. But Catholics were always pretty pro-life, so I I don't know. I just I, I feel I would like not he's questioning any, the wrong thing. Maybe you can make and these, it makes these
0: generalizations. But the only Catholics I've personally known are all very. uh Oh wait, sorry. Go on. I'm dumb. I'm very dumb. Go on. I thought you said yeah, fair I, choice. I, no, 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 no. About... You you no. But I agree. I sorry. I I'm, I thought you said the other one. You know what I mean? Sorry. Yeah,
3: sorry. I'm <laughs> I'm talking about historical trends too, yes. because obviously. Individually, we can find well all the um, a bunch of different people. <laughs> <So>. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I I think that this is that basically this makes him in my mind I can't root for him anymore because um uh, yeah because you know he he condemned his sister to death and I can't I can't get on the side of him anymore from that the only the only way that I can is when he goes up against like the KKK oh. and the Nazis which are like yeah right, if, if you go up against the worst of the worst
2: See, well to me it just feels like i don't know i just this is gonna make me sound so anti-natalist but it's like i'd rather save like an adult person than a baby at that point
1: okay well yeah here's,
2: this, this is th- this is like a big, <laughs> a, big a big moral okay, argument right but, now, no but, <laughs>
0: but it's not to me i i obviously agree with you now but i think in 1963 this is a question people weren't asking. So it's it's one of those things where it's like I I get annoyed that she her body bodily autonomy is removed from her at the end of her life, obviously. The way I read though, Caleb, to go back to what you were saying about him being upset about how he acted
1: then, I think his issue is <laughs> I, I don't know how to word this, because maybe you're gonna still be like, well, that's still a problem, and it
0: is still a problem, but I don't, I think his pro his thing he's sad about, isn't that like his sister went off and ran, get married. I think he's just sad. He didn't look like even a week earlier, you know, he caught his sister before she'd been in labor five days alone. He doesn't say that. And I know he's like, oh, if I want him a nicer confession, but that to me. We get back to him like two years after this, where he's tried to rationalize this in his head, where I think this is a very, you know, it's flawed. I don't think it makes him like a total asshole. <laughs> I think he was given an impossible choice which now is not so impossible to us. But at the time, if you're Catholic in 19, what, 20, the 1920s, it is an incredibly hard choice to make. And listen, I, I disagree with the choice he made, but like, and I definitely disagree with like how the writing formed it as like, oh, it's so terrible that he lost his sister, not like his sister lost her own life. But I don't
1: know. To me, I didn't lose my spot with him on it. If that makes sense. Maybe I have too much
2: empathy. I don't know. I feel like That's I do bad, feel like the movie presents it as. Yes. I sorry. do feel like the movie presents it as a very tough choice, and I'm not saying I don't want them to say like, "Oh, I'm going to kill every baby that I ever have." I'm not saying that. <laughs> I think that they pre- they present it. I think it would still be a very difficult decision for people today. Um, it's actually this is a topical thing um, on TikTok. Um, buzzers are trending. Um, saying <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. It's Sorry, true. Right,
0: just gonna leave it at that. Like mothers are trending.
2: No, tr- it's a trending topic <laughs> on TikTok right now, where mothers are saying to their partners, "They're saying if it comes down to me or the baby, save me." And I think that that's an interesting turn of events. I do think, again, I think the movie presents it well wow. that it's a, a tough choice. I think that the description <laughs> that the doctor gave probably could have been a little bit more sensitive. Yeah,
0: I don't think the doctor, <laughs> doctor gave a very good. I think the doctor was bad, too. Um, I think my Wi-Fi just went down because Caleb froze. Oh, no, Caleb just naturally froze. Uh, I was
1: just
3: thinking. <laughs> I stood still.
0: <laughs> well, you stood still at a very weird angle. Anyway, um, what I was going to make, if we are going to talk about TikTok as a comparison, I'm talking about this. I just keep thinking about how, like, you know, you got to choose between the life as someone you love or the entire world. You must make the choice knock at the
3: cabin. Sorry.
2: I thought was. I thought
0: there was, um, was Spider Man. Oh, I thought it might
3: have also been uh cats. You must make the yeah, choice. I. You must make the jellical choice. what the um, doctor
0: just came up to it said, you. Must make the jellical
1: choice. You'd <laughs> <laughs> be like, uh, "What is that?"
3: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I. I, I guess I. My problem necess- isn't like. I think logically for the story the choice he makes is the choice that makes sense. I think you get a very different different movie if he makes the opposite choice. I just wish that had been interrogated a little bit more after it happened. I do I felt like all the regret came back to that earlier scene and not the
2: Well, and I think I agree. I think that the the whole situation it just kind of gets off kind of easily. Like the daughter is there and that's, she just lives with them now.
0: That's my big and problem with it is that like, the, the Jewish guy up.
2: is just the Jewish guy is just not involved in her life at all, which I feel like he would be because he still loved her. Um he's not her dad, but you know what I mean. It just feels like there's no consequence. Like the family can be like, "Well, we love her all the same." Like it just feels like I don't know. It
0: just I 100% agree. That's the big issue with the storyline to me is that we cut ahead and it's already, like, her fifth birthday. And it's like, oh, it's so great. We got another daughter. Oh, sad picture on the the, the mantle. But, hey, we got a daughter right here.
1: That's so cool. Just a bit much.
2: Yeah. I mean, even later, too, when she's an adult played by the same actress.
1: Yeah, that, that's
0: weird. <laughs> With a
2: red wig. It just feels like their dialogue around it is so weird. Where they're, yeah, like, they're like, yeah, wow, it was a bad situation,
0: a, but... You're the spitting image of your mom. <laughs> But anyway, Houston grants him a leave of absence to debate if he wants to still be a priest because this destroyed him emotionally. And that's the end of Act One.
3: And then after that,
0: Act Two is like uh, four four little mini stories, I'd say.
3: Yeah, and I think the first one's the it's the one I have the least to talk about.
0: Yeah, but he is hanging
1: out in Vienna um as a teacher. He meets a girl who definitely has a crush on him. Way too young for him. He's a little
0: interested, but
2: I would say he's very interested. He's based interested on what he
0: says. He's interested, but he does not He acts very repressed, which is valid uh, because that is what he's supposed to be acting. And um he prays to God, becomes a priest again. We get this really good moment where she sees him dressing up in the priest stuff. I don't know. Is that a robe, a gown? I don't
2: know what's called. Um uh, it's not a habit. It's a collar. They
1: just call it a collar, I think. I have it the nun. Thing. I know. I swear to putting out a habit. Hey, That'd cool? be really shocking. <laughs> Whoa.
0: Now I want a movie about, I'm sure there is a movie about like a trans nun. That'd be really cool.
2: I mean, I don't, I thought this storyline was pretty interesting to watch. I thought the tension was pretty good. I do think that him just saying out of the blue, I'm in love with you, or oh, I think I'm in love with you, was very strange. But to me, it's just such a low stakes storyline because we know that he's not going to do anything like they don't even like they say that and then he just immediately abandons her, which I mean, good for him, I guess. I don't really care one way or the other <laughs> if he's with her or not, but, you know, it's not like it's not like a bag moment. It's just like, you know, he, he goes about his day and that's it. And he didn't do anything wrong.
1: Until we get back to this plot in fourth story. But then we got, wait, fourth story? Yeah, because this was the first story. Wait, what story am I forgetting? I'm only, now I'm
0: counting out of my head. I'm only getting to three. Anyway, the second story is the big one about the Deep South. There's this priest played by Ossie Davis, who if we want to do a detour talking about him, I'm sure Caleb would be very excited because we like Ossie Davis on this podcast. Uh, we've actually already mentioned him before, I know, <laughs> even though we haven't covered a movie of his before. But anyway, Ossie Davis plays. Just looking at the name, Father Gillis, Father Gillis,
1: who is in Georgia. He tried to enroll his kids in a Catholic school because he's a priest. Um. They won't let him join because the schools aren't integrated in Georgia.
0: So he went to talk to his cardinal, cardinal, or not car- I don't know who he went to talk to. He went to talk to his monsignor. Is that what it is? The, like, the,
2: no, he's a monsignor at this point. It is, it's a cardinal, but it's not John Hughes. It's a different cardinal.
0: Yeah, the cardinal, that's like where he lives. He went to go talk to that cardinal. He said... The Cardinal's like, don't mess with it. It's fine. And he's like, well, the only thing I could do was my church saved, raised money to send me over here. And they're like, well, that's sad. You couldn't integrate, but too bad. And I'm like, yeah, but the church was burned down. And they're like, what? But also the guy, the Cardinal, who I was telling you earlier, the Cardinal that he talks to is very not sympathetic. He's like, well, you know, eventually the people will integrate, but it's not our business to get involved with. Sorry, but thanks for visiting. It's always nice to visit our pe- our friends. Uh, uh, it's always nice to meet a new priest. And it's like, well, that was useless. But Steve, our boy Steve, takes an interest in this case because, well, one, obviously, he's from New England. He believes in integration. And obviously, this is wrong. And if all the Catholic Church is meant to be together and brothers in Christ, you cannot discriminate of one race. Um, so he's like, he makes this deal, basically. This is, like, the most, like... I think this is the most plotty this movie ever gets, which is fine. I actually enjoy it, like, going into, like, this... These are people manipulating each other for a bit. He talks to his friend, and his friend's like, how would I put in his ear the cardinal who doesn't like you that to prevent you from being promoted to a bishop? We send you to do to, to this. So he'll think this will mess up your chances to become a bishop because he thinks you're going to mess it up. And he's like, yeah, it's a great idea. So Steve goes back and he goes to Georgia where he discovers racism, basically. Uh, I mean, I'm sure he's aware of it already, but you know what I mean? It's very depicted, very bluntly. And I I mean that in a good way. I don't mean like, oh, it's so obvious. I think it's good to depict racism bluntly in a production like this where it's like, yo, it's a big Oscar bait movie. And anyway, he goes, um, he gets... He sees Catholics protesting integration. He's like, How dare you do this to your group, to the cardinal there, or the monsignor there?
1: And basically, he gets lynched after Ossie Davis gets lynched again. And, but since he got lynched, it's, it
0: happens off screen, but it's pretty much implied that since he got lynched in the Rose of Witnesses, that's what gets them to get um the people who lynched Ossie Davis arrested in jail and he's like but that was the first time in history that a black man's word was taken over a white
1: man's in this state or country i don't know if it's country or state Think state but yeah that's basically the whole of that plot a lot to talk about in it though actually i know sarah had something she wanted to mention here
2: did i
0: yeah, you were talking about uh, I was like Otto Preminger, famously woke man, and you were like,
2: "Well, I have oh, to it say. wasn't about him being racist, <laughs> but I'll I'll mention it." Um, this is like not relevant to this part of the but I'll just talk about it. Oh, I so, thought I thought
0: it was because you you texted me a lot of n words in this movie, and I was like, "Oh, well, yeah, I think
2: that the movie, the language in this movie is just foul. I mean, the anti semiticism the you know anti-Hispanic slur, the n words." I, I don't like it, but you know, I think the N word. I'm not going to say that N words are justified, but those are probably the most. They're probably the most justified. Um, all just to say. I think the uh, anti-Semitism
0: is important too for where this story. Well, it
2: doesn't really ever get addressed, though. I mean, the his whole family is anti-Semitic, and then that's it.
0: I mean, yeah, sure, but I. Yeah, but I, I, it, okay. Yes, you're right, but it's not—it's it, not fixed. But I think it is addressed. If that makes sense.
2: Yeah, I mean it's yeah, yeah. um, just not by his loved ones. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> so no, I was going to talk about auto Preminger, but this again, it doesn't fit with the rest. It would—it just has to do with him as a person. Um, so who played the lead guy? So Tom Tryon was in this movie. Um. And he's
1: an
2: this interesting just, guy. He is. He's a gay icon. Um, I actually didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, and well, this was hit, cool. one of his last like, major film roles for a long time um, because Otto Preminger was just so mean to him on set. Like He was just awful to him. Um, there was one instance where Tom Tryon's parents came to visit and Otto Preminger fired him just so he could fire him in front of his parents. Uh, oh, so just not, just not a nice guy. Um, so I do feel bad for him. When having became, to endure
0: this. He became an award-winning, very successful horror writer. So
2: yes, <laughs> cool, cool second act. Afterwards.
0: Cool second act of his career. He um, also wrote like the adaptation, a couple movie adaptations of his work. So okay. I mean, doesn't make up to this, but yeah. I think it's kind of neat. But I think his yeah. second act I didn't know this stuff about Preminger, but I think his second act in life is pretty neat.
1: Yeah.
3: Um I have a lot of conflicting thoughts about this uh this section of the movie. Yeah, Otto Preminger worked with a lot of black casts, probably most famously in Carmen Jones, where he worked with Dorothy Dandridge. And so, yeah, it it, it comes off he comes off very well intentioned here a man this is probably like the most textbook white savior narrative you can get um literally I, just, I never literally white yeah savior. like <laughs> um i don't know I, it's it's hard to it's hard to watch this and think of because you know a, a few years after this um reverend james reeb would die in selma um, and his death brought a lot of attention to what was going on in Selma and, uh, including presidential attention, which helped, uh, pave the way for, um, pave the way for the eventual march from Selma to Montgomery. And I don't know. I just, I feel like this is all too clean. Neither. And I, I don't want Ozzie Davis's character to die, but he doesn't die. The main character obviously doesn't die um, there it seems like there's temporary pain, and then eventually the judicial system wins out, and that's just not the way things worked uh in the civil rights movement. um the judicial system would you know maybe overturn something they might make segregation illegal. That doesn't mean it' stopped um, especially. There's that weird part where the KKK member comes back. And uh I
0: think that's interesting though, because I don't think it sympathizes with him. I think he's just like, shut up, play your music. Like, you know.
3: Oh, that's not how I read the scene, oh. but
0: I think the movie I think, yeah, Heart's in the right place. I think the ending happening off screen is cheap. Um I think Heck, the movie doesn't really he's like first time a black man's word was taken over a white man I'm like yeah but like it's because they attacked you like that's outright what is said is uh right because people recognize them with you a white man so it's that not what happened um but i also think Stephen in general in this movie we've kind of got he's kind of a doofus at points so to me, I was like, okay, I wish the movie acknowledged this, but I also think it's in character for him to be like, look at what I did! By I let this I helped this black man do it by himself! You know? I think that's very in character with what we've seen of him up to this yeah. point. Yeah. Taking credit for somehow someone else doing something on their own. Even though he helped.
2: I mean, this is also very <laughs> white savior but like, the movie doesn't they, I mean the movie kind of tries to fit him into an oppressed group by saying that he's Catholic, well, but like I mean, just just the people torment him, not, not actually. Well,
0: I think there is one important thing to look at with this movie in general in terms of like discrimination and him being a minority group is because this is still the point of America where the Irish aren't liked, right? That's what I was gonna
2: say. That's oh, yeah. what I was gonna say, well, is I'm- I feel like there could have been that sort of like bonding moment between the two and again you know i'm not gonna argue that irish people had it better or worse but i mean better but or worse but um you know it doesn't i don't know it just feels like it's very much just like he comes into town and he's another catholic priest and that's kind of the extent of it
3: yeah the kkk did hate catholics they still do hate catholics um Man, but, and, and they have a line where they, where the Catholics are protesting. It kind of implies that they're doing it so that they don't get any backlash. Like the white Catholics are kind of throwing the black Catholics under the bus, which would be really interesting if that was the movie. And I think, I think with what y'all were talking about with the abortion subplot and now, well, I'm kind of thinking through with this if they took any of these segments and they expanded into a full movie, except maybe like the romance segment, that would be pretty good. But the, because this has to move on to the next thing, I don't think we ever get to see the consequences or the ideas really fleshed out.
2: Well, even like the, the other Catholic priest that's there, the white one, he's just kind of like, well, you know, we just have to kind of let them do their own thing. And then that's like it. Like he's just well, like, I think it's, very implicit that he is racist.
0: I will say the, this was the scene of the movie the sequence of the movie that reminded me most of the upcoming film. Probably really sorry at the time this episode came out, the Pope's exorcist, because he shows <laughs> up and he's like, "Why do I have to listen to you?" And he's like, "Well, look, I'm unofficially from the Vatican." And they're like, "Oh, okay, we'll <laughs> listen." Oh, we don't want to. Like the one, oh, the one oh, scene no. with the
2: protesters is just like they're all like they got these horrible signs and they're saying these horrible things. And then Steven's like, hey, why don't you go talk to them? And then he's like, yeah, maybe I will. <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, I w- you know, I will say, though, <laughs> Ozzie Davis was in this, and Ozzie Davis was extremely, uh, and Ruby D, who was his wife and, a, and another actor, were extremely uh, active in the civil rights movement. Um, they emceed the March on Washington um, same year this came out. Ozzie Davis would give the eulogy at Malcolm X's funeral. Um, so what I'll say is, these two, uh, Ozzie Davis was an activist. He obviously saw, I, I bet he took in some strategic importance when he decided to accept this film. So what I'll say is, I don't really like it. I understand, though, for the time, maybe uh, it was probably better than a lot of stuff that was coming out. That there might have been, I'm sure Ozzy Davis found some value in this. I don't think he would have taken a role that he doesn't he think he thought would hurt the cause.
0: So then, after this sequence, he gets promoted to bishop, and then we get to the Nazis. Um, we meet up again with our basically the the head person in Vienna is saying, "Oh, you should vote yes on Hitler! Yay!" Um. I hope no one cut that set out of context. Um. Uh, anyway, so then, obviously, they send our boy Steve to talk about like you can't do that. You can't endorse something political. We're also very concerned about Hitler and the rise of national socialism. Um. Like, well, I'm just doing this to do save the Catholics, and you know, I'm technically not doing anything wrong. Uh, and during this all, we meet up with uh, his girl, his almost girlfriend from the beginning of the second act who's been married and doesn't really love her husband. So she didn't do what she wanted to do. She always said, the one thing I want to do is just care for my husband. Um, and we get this really uh, really to me, this was the scene of this movie I thought was legitimately disturbing for a movie that came out in 1963 in a good I way. Thought it was
2: a, I thought it was a really cool scene though, actually. Oh yeah,
0: it was great is the Gestapo shows up when he's talking to the both of them. The husband sees this, goes, oh, all right, I'll just be going then. And just walks straight out the window to his death. And it's shot so quickly, so brutally. It's a great scene. Like It's very it's,
2: it's very well shot. Yeah. yeah.
0: And it's very, like, chilling. And you find out afterwards, it's because he discovered his grandmother was half Jewish, so he assumed the Gestapo was after him for that. Um, and then also there's this whole thing about him trying to leave the country So stop is going after him too. But his wife is so, the thing that's so great about this scene also, I should have mentioned, is that the buildup to it is like they're having a little ideological discussion at dinner with the, the girl, the, his, his wife, him, and the cardinal. And he's like concerned about Hitler, but his wife's like, I think Hitler's going to bring a new era to Austria and he's, she's going to make so much greatness come to us. And then immediately after, when the stop shows up, he, he throws himself out the window. It's chilling, and then she's like, I if I'd known that I wouldn't have been saying that. those things about Hitler around him, blah, blah blah. It's like, yeah, um, and then she gets arrested. I don't know, I'm kind of rushing through this because I don't really honestly find mo- this is all it's, like it's technically good, but it's like it's all stuff you've seen before in upper like rise of World War 2 It's
2: just not very engaging, it's just a lot of back and forth,
0: yeah. Um this is also the where he gets mad. I think he does get mad in this part of the movie. He's like, "Why did you do this and not do this?" Blah, blah, blah. And uh anyway, the movie ends of like this 15 minute sequence where the Germans take over. Hitler yells at the guy off-screen, much like Michael Jordan in Air. Um <laughs> he yells at, at the cardinal off-screen. Not the not the cardinal, the um the guy in charge of Vienna. Um and then he goes, "We did all that and he still wants to kill us anyway and get rid of wants to disband anyway." The Catholics and yet, earlier today, I, when I voted yes, I said, hail Hitler, as I left, instead of saying, praise be to God. And the guy who, the Cardinal, has been yelling at the entire, this entire segment, it's like, I was an idiot. It's like, yep, you were. That's how fascism works. But, you know, also, again, this is a movie from 1963. I can't be like, ah, oh, you idiot. You should have seen this coming. But it's like, I think all of it is pretty accurate to how probably people were acting in the 19, late 1930s. Um,
3: yeah i think i think it may be six a little bit too close to having to get everything that happened like all the beats that happened in austria it goes um, very quickly well yeah. sorry
0: the running time of this segment is very quick i think it goes very slow because it is hitting
3: everything yeah there a lot of stuff happens and i think that that Although there is some there are some really good moments, I think that kind of hurts us from really being an effective part of the film. Um, and it when it ends, it just feels very like okay. It just feels like the another end to this segment. It doesn't feel like the finale. Yeah, the it's real... when the movie
0: finally okay. ends, it's just like, okay. I, I wish it had more of a concrete ending. I wish we'd tied all these together somehow. because like, for one thing, at the end, you know, his family's there, it's like everyone gets, you know, invited to come. One thing they could have done is had Ozzy Davis be there. He didn't need, like, you know, like, it's just weird it doesn't tie everything together. Or, like, well, the woman who said, didn't she say she was going to become a nurse, a nun? The woman who helped the Burgess Meredith?
1: Yeah. She, yeah. Like
0: She could have shown up at the end, too. It's like, none of this was all tied together at the very end.
2: Well, I feel like they tried to tie it together because he gives this long speech about, like, standing up for what's right and all this stuff. But it just, at that point, I feel like I was so checked out of the movie. That I just couldn't digest. I think the Nazi saying. stuff
0: is really just like, it's very specifically. Once, um, after Hitler chews out the guy, and it's like we've got this long sequence of not really dialogue, and it's just Austria being taken, which is very like, I. It's a misjudgment to be there, but I also think it's very well done with the extras. Like you know, like the technical, like the technical aspects of this shoot probably were really tough, but it just isn't engaging. I kind of like Quo Vitus, actually, I think, if I remember that well. I remember the ending of Quilvitis being like, dang, this must have been really hard to put together. Too bad I don't care.
3: Yeah, this is the third Oz- Ozzy Davis movie. I've Not Ozzy Davis. <laughs> this is the third Otto Priminger movie I've seen. And uh, all of them, well-made, well-constructed. The dude was very good at his job. What was the one you don't haven't seen really that we cover? Uh, Carmen Jones. Okay, go on. Um, I don't really like any of them that much uh moon is blue is probably the one i like the most but um definitely I, I don't know i just <laughs> i feel like i feel like priminger is definitely one of these directors for me where it's like impressive don't care
0: do we want to say anything more about the nazi stuff because i really it's it kind of is what it is you know
1: it's interesting but like i don't think it's
3: it would have been nice to get an explicit tie between the Nazis and the KKK, like have him be like, oh, this reminds me of what I faced in the South.
0: Yeah, that would have been good. I agree. I'm surprised. It was on the scene where I'm surprised it's not there, but I'm like, oh, this movie exists in 1963. So am I surprised? Yeah,
2: I don't know if I could. I don't think I could get away with that, to be honest. I don't, I don't think you could even get away with that today, uh, <laughs> as sad as that is.
0: Now Caleb, I have a question for you about this segment though. Which is mm-hmm. you have a letterbox list I really love, which is titled Movies at the Movies. And I want to yeah. know, does this movie qualify for it? Or since it's a private screening room, does that not qualify as a movie theater where they watch the newsroom?
3: Um, I, I'm double I, I'll have to double check the list. I'm pretty sure that I don't have any other movies that are that I count private screening rooms in. I think it has to be in a in a public well, I theater. see
0: Captain America First Avenger which has a newsreel but not um, that's a private not a public movie theater So,
3: um, yeah are they not a theater?
0: I think it's a screening that, room that, I mean there's a projectionist there but it looks like, it's a very small room so to me it's like a screening room in mm. the
3: Vatican mm. I'll have to think about this y'all yeah, check out my letterbox at the Myth King to mm-hmm. see if I add this to the list um,
1: I do want to say one other thing about um, Tom Tieran before we wrap up, unless there's other things you guys want to say about the movie before we move on. No. Um, sorry, you have to I actually don't talk because so. I can't
0: see you. Sorry. <laughs> I am
2: talking. No, I know, sorry. I started
0: the sentence before. I appreciate it. Uh the other thing about Tom Tieran is um Tryon, Tryon, I think, not Tieran, sorry. Is he earlier we said that you know he was in the Cardinal. He actually, despite his bad in, in, like experience of Otto Preminger, he did return to work with Otto Preminger in in harm's way but that's not what i was going to mention i was going to mention that he was in a little movie that was never released a bigger piece of lost media than batgirl or arguably
1: maybe even the day the clown died
0: and that is something's gotta give do you know what something's oh, gotta give
1: is I I, do. i'm guessing sarah
0: does yeah caleb do you know what something's gotta give is it's not, Name the, sounds kind of familiar. it's not the Jack Nicholson <laughs> movie Something's Gotta Give. It's Something's Got To Give. Got To Give. I think
3: I was thinking of the Jack Nicholson movie.
0: Alright, so Something's Gotta Give is directed by George Huthur. It's an unfinished feature film that was shot in 1962. It's a remake of My Favorite Wife, a film that came out in 1940. There's demar- 37 minutes of it exists. Um, most of the footage has been lost to time and it's a lost film because it wasn't finished because the other actors in it besides Tom Tryon are Dean Martin, Sid Therese, Phil Silvers, and uh, Marilyn Monroe who died during the production of the film after getting well, fired.
2: Technically, yeah, technically yes. she got fired first and then they recast it and then she died.
0: And it's like, well,
1: yeah, you can't really finish it after that. What did they recast her as? I'm curious. Um, Jean, looks like uh, Oh, no, sorry. Monroe, um, who was it? I'm reading, sorry. I'm sorry, I just opened this because I discovered this. Lee Remick. Uh, what? Oh, Lee, Lee Remick. Remick. Okay, but Monroe accepted it, but only if
0: Cukor was fired and replaced with Gene Negolesco. But
1: obviously the film was never restarted production, so. Once Marilyn Monroe died, but yes, um, yeah, that was a that was, a, um, Tom Tryon was involved with that too, but yeah, I mean that's an interesting because he'll he's never going to come up again on this show, never. But Sarah, yes, what was the Cardinal nominated for? We're having a... it was a
2: rock nominated cut
1: <laughs> like,
0: like it
2: was, was nominated game? for uh, best director. Best actor in a supporting role for John Huston, best cinematography color, best art direction set decoration color, Uh, best costume design color, and best film editing.
1: All right, I'm about to get canceled for what I'm going to give it because maybe he abused Tom Tryon
0: on set. Not maybe, he (laughs) did. But at the time, if I was voting at the time, I would not know that. And I do think the direction of this movie is impressive. I think there are so many large scale scenes that are done well. I also think there are so many moments where it decides to linger on an object or does some interesting blocking that is part of the cinematography but
1: it's also the blocking that is good. So I feel like I'm personally going to give it to Otto Preminger, director. Sorry, Tom. The O and David O. Russell stands
2: for Otto Preminger. Um I'll give it cinematography. I thought well
0: David O'Prussell. Yeah, I'll, guys,
2: give it, I'll give it. i I'll give it cinematography. I uh in particular, even though this was technically
1: uh what's his name? Saul bass did the the intro, but I'll I'll
2: still include it in cinematography.
3: Okay. Yeah, it was cool to see some Saul Bass work pop up. Um cuz obviously the poster is very Saul Bass, but the seeing the credit sequence was also really cool.
1: Um mm,
3: mm. I'll go ahead and give it to John Houston. I think that he was um he had a lot of life to the film. Uh, I feel like his character had a lot of um he was able to give his character a lot of depth for someone who wasn't yeah uh, in a lot of scenes compared to like someone like uh like Burgess Meredith but still you know not not a central figure in the movie um or at least not the whole movie just kind of the first act so yeah John Houston.
1: nice okay so then add enough. yeah this is a little <laughs> harder um Easy there are me. a lot of there's
3: sorry, go on. It was like easy to me. There's a lot of there's a lot of actors here. Um the actor who plays the sister, I think, is pretty good. But you can't put Ozzie Davis in a movie. I probably have to give him the award. Uh I don't think this is, you know, by this won't make his top ten performances. Um but I think I think he you know, he always has a lot of screen presence. So I'll go ahead and give him a supporting actor. Can I do that if I also give John Houston? Am I giving out 2 You're giving actor? You're giving a nom. You're giving a nom. Okay, not a win. All right, yeah. So then I'll give him the nom. All
1: right. So. Um, mine's a no-brainer. I'm gonna give
2: it best score. I thought the score was phenomenal. This, this was movie.
1: nominated at the um,
0: AFI 100 Years of Score. There wasn't like you know it was an option to vote for. And I always think it's weird when that's happened and the score isn't nominated. You want to say no, that's it on the score? Okay, that's fine. Um, no, I mean,
2: I think the score is good.
1: That's
0: all I got to uh-huh. say about it. Um, I'm going with, you know, if I'm going to give it to Otto the win, I got to nominate Tom. But in all honesty, even before I knew that um, that story about Tom Tryon and Otto Preminger, I was already thinking Tom Trier. because so I think this is a movie that even though it is an ensemble, it is pretty dependent on both his charisma and his acting. And I think he's very convincing for most of it. And if he's not convincing, it's because the script is letting him down in that moment. Um. So I think he. I think it's weird that this movie can be so liked, even though it didn't get a best picture now But I think it's weird it can be so liked and yet not get an actor nomination when
1: he's in so much of this three hour long movie, and he's good in it. So it's weird. Uh, I think he should be nominated. Tom trying for best actor. It's my choice. Cool. Right on. Someone's got to hey, cue Danny. me in, guys. I can't just say it. I <laughs> got.
3: Hey, Danny. What what what, what are we doing next time? All right, so next time
0: we're going to the thirty seventh Academy Awards. A film that has seven nominations and no wins. It's a film that I've mentioned on this podcast before, but we've not covered anything by the director. The drum roll, please. We're going to be covering Robert Aldrich's "Hush Hush, Sweet Charlotte."
2: Oh, I'm so excited for
0: this one. This was designed to be the follow-up. We mentioned this on this podcast earlier, because it was designed to be the follow-up to whatever happened to Baby Jane. Uh, Betty Davis left the film because she was mad about
2: Not her. Betty Davis, the other oh, one. Oh, I'm
0: sorry. Jean Crawford left the film. She was replaced with Olivia de ha- Havilland on
1: Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte. Which, of course, she appeared earlier it's on our life. podcast in Captain Blood. So, Wait, yeah. who did Olivia
0: oh, Holland. Olivia, Olivia DeHallon.
2: I thought yeah. you meant Betty Davis.
1: No, the Betty
0: Davis has appeared on our podcast a lot too. Maybe this will
2: be yeah, a the
3: podcast,
0: I but I don't know yet. I haven't
3: looked at it. We haven't had a Joan Crawford, have we?
0: Ooh, I will say this. There is an actor in this movie who is alive and still regularly working, which is kind of cool. I know,
2: I do see that.
0: Yeah. So I'm, we'll, ha- we'll have to talk about him because he's definitely one of those actors I just imagine as an old man. So, and he's obviously <laughs> not gonna
1: be an old man in this. <laughs> but yeah, I out sweet Charlotte. That will be what we talk about next time. I'm Danny Minson. You can buy my letterbox appointments. when this episode's out, I will have
0: just done the Robert Zemeckis retrospective at the music box where I'm going to try to see absolutely everything. Because why would I spend money on a pass if I didn't see every single damn movie they throw at me? That's right, I'm going to Marwin, folks. You can also have her podcast. Look into the o- for the ocean, a <laughs> Pixar
1: journey. Um, or the Wally episode probably just came out, which I think is pretty good. So, Wally's cool. Check that out.
3: I am Caleb from Caleb from the real world. You can find me on Instagram and YouTube. From there, you can find my litany of other podcasts: Hot Trash Unlimited, Star Wars Therapy. And all new 52, which I do with our editor, Joe. Thanks, Joe.
0: Thank you, Joe. Joe. Sarah, ask your question.
2: I don't have one this time. I already asked what religion he was. He didn't answer. (laughs) 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 Um, You can find me on Letterboxd. Just my name, Sarah. Uh, You can find me on Instagram. uh, S-G-K-E-S-S-G-E-K-Y-29. You can find us on... Instagram, the Podcast, Twitter, the Pod, and Facebook, Snapchat Podcast.
1: I gotta say, before we sign off, I'm right here. I'm looking at the Movies at the Movies
0: page. It says it was updated five minutes ago. It looks like, as of right now, the Cardinal has not made the cut. So
3: No, and I actually took off Capone <laughs> because Capone is also in a private screening room. Um, is while um, the scene in the- Capone is hilarious... I I decided I did have to take it off. I kept Came Mutiny though.
0: Nice. You should include The Last of Us episode seven. Just kidding. It's TV.
1: Anyway, um, we'll see you next time with Hush! Hush! Sweet Charlotte. Bye. Bye.